You know what? We can say that. We can say it with robust because we are people that have great hope. A hope that knows. A hope that is real. And I want to tell you, it's because of the person of Christ. The very person of Christ and His uh, beauties that uh, He has. The wonders that uh, should be bringing forth in our thoughts and in our minds. People need to see this Christ that we know. And I want to tell you, um, this is a wicked world. You guys have heard about the latest news this week. You couldn't miss it probably. Uh, I'm not even going to have to deal with it. Of course, the Duck Dynasty and thing. I've got too much other stuff to talk about. It's just showing the state of the world, our our country, our nation. People would side along with uh, some evil things that are going on in our world. And we'll be touching on that today. But uh, without hope, what do people do? What do human beings do? I mean, it's indispensable. It's one of the biggest things that we can have. What a quality of life that uh, our hope in Christ is. I want to tell you, um, there was um, a submarine that went down back many years ago. It was an S-4. went all the way down to the ocean, down to the bottom. There were actually ships that were around. The men that were in the submarine, of course, uh, they they struggled to get uh, air. They got as much as they could when they were trapped in that uh, vessel and all the ships are coming around and people are trying to go down, trying to get them out somehow. Uh, this crew, they're just trying to cling on somehow to the oxygen. And slowly it was leaving and it gave out. There was actually one diver that got down and uh, actually uh, placed his ear to the side of that submarine and he heard a, a packing. That's that's all he could hear, and he, and he listened, the tapping noises. Then he heard the Morse code. One of them was sending the Morse code signal to him. And you know what the question was? It was a question. Is there any hope? Is there any hope? That's the cry of all humanity, is it not? Is there any hope? Whether they know or think of that, but that cry should be heard. Is there any hope? And when you consider... The incarnation message. You consider that it was a very dark time, an evil time period that Christ came into as he took on flesh. Now, I want to tell you, I've been, I guess, behind the pulpit for close to 30 Christmases, I guess. And I've never tried to repeat any, although they probably all sound alike. Um, Try to bring fresh new truth. And after I talk with many pastors, they all struggle the same way. It's like, how can I come up with something a little bit different than what I've done before? And it's usually late, late in the week before I really come up with anything because I go through all the passages, even go through Old Testament and you know it's it's a story that's so familiar, but it is in Scripture so much. It's threaded throughout. The incarnation is a basic fundamental of the faith. And as we heard those words, as we read those words this morning, as we sang, it sent chills down my spine because it was like reading Scripture, and uh, it was 
it was about how God came to this earth as He lowered Himself into the sinful muck and mire of humanity to come to save us. So it's incredible. So what we're going to do this morning is kind of look at an Old Testament prophet, namely Isaiah, and look at his view of the birth of the Messiah 700 years before it happened. And uh, this is this is key uh, at his time. And at the time that uh, they were in, there was really not any hope. And even the believers were losing some hope. So, as we think about that, we know that there was like absolute darkness. A sinful place. And I'll be getting into some of the things that they were doing back at that time. And it is like Isaiah is a preacher here in our own century, in our time. And so, we have this news to announce to this dark world today. We celebrate this incarnation, this birth of Christ... It's in a context of happy merriment. You know, I mean, we you know, I might say Merry Christmas or you want good tidings, glad tidings, good news, such. When you really look around the world and you see people without Christ, there's not too much to be merry about that, is there? There is in Christ Himself. But the way that the world is, it's in a sad condition. The immorality is incredible. It's exposing itself like it never has in our lifetimes. And uh, the ignorance of what their deliverance is, is incredible. Most of the world has no idea what could be the good news. Most of the people of the world don't know Christ. And they're in a turmoil. And the thing is, it just churns and grinds away the very life of mankind. So the things that go on at Christmas, there's a lot of things that in our culture that people do that are doing everything but celebrating the Incarnation. We as Christians can take the opportunity to say, okay, we know He wasn't born December 25th, and we know that there's a lot of pagan things involved, but I do want to tell you, we don't want to ever diminish the value of the Incarnation because that is a fundamental of uh, the faith that we believe in. Whether you want to celebrate the way the world does or not, I mean, you can. Ha- I think you can have fun. I think there is uh, 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 the opportunity there, though, to see that, okay, and this is what some of the, of the early Christians had done, okay, they have their pagan things, they want to do it on that, we're going to continue to do, uh, to actually preach the gospel and and we'll use this as an opportunity to show that God came to our world took on the flesh being man and God. I mean, that's one of the great doctrines of the Bible, isn't it? The man God. God in flesh. God is with us. And that's what we're titling this today. Emmanuel, God is with us. How many songs did we sing today that had Emmanuel in it? We don't usually call him that until about this time of the year. So sometimes it's good to have things that remind us to go back to that doctrine and bring it, bring it forth. So I think it's wonderful to concentrate on the incarnation of Christ no matter what time of the year it is. He came to earth as a man. He had a purpose, and his purpose was this, to die. He was born to die. You've seen those on t-shirts? 
Christ was born to die for our sins, to be a ransom for us, to redeem us, to buy us out of the bondage that we were in. The world around us is in a sad condition and we need to be aware of that and not back down, but give forth truth when we have the opportunity. And so, uh, to expose those deeds of darkness. We don't want to hunker down and just be quiet. No, we need to stand up for the truth, no matter what it may cost. It's okay, Jesus said, it will cost you. We need for the light to shine and to expose the deeds of darkness. And in the nation of Israel, that was what was happening during the time of Isaiah. And that's what I'm going to try to bring forth here this morning. During the time that Christ was getting, uh, being born, it was a despicable place to live the world was, and especially in the nation of Israel, which was to be the place where God had started His people. And uh, now the time we live in, we have the same kind of situation going on, the same kind of immoralities and evil things that go on. What did it mean to Isaiah? That's our first point, and that's going to be most of the message. Point two is, what did it mean to Matthew? And then number three, what does it mean to us today? Alright? Pretty easy to remember, but you've got it, don't you? What did it mean to Isaiah? What did it mean to Matthew? What did it mean? What does it mean to us? Why don't we stand in honor of God's word, open our Bibles, and we're just going to read a couple of verses. But there will be more verses I'll be reading later. In Isaiah chapter seven, verse fourteen, therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold. A virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Then we turn over to Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Matthew having this in mind, and he's the only one that says this one this way. Behold, in verse 23, 123, 123 of Matthew. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. We've got a lot of key words there. Virgin, child, son, Emmanuel. Which means God with us. Let's pray. Father, we can't thank you enough for being with us right here, right now. And in every situation, we know you're here with us now. But as we walk out of here, as we go to our work or schooling and whatever we do, our work at home and such, on Monday, you are with us. You are with us Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, every moment of the day, every week. You are with us. What a great promise. And in that we say thanks to your Son. In His name, Amen. Amen. Okay, uh, you can be seated. We turn to Isaiah chapter 7 as we were in verse 14. <clears throat> and what we're going to do now is I'm going to, I'm going to read 10 through 14. I'll give you a little bit of background as I, after I read that. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, he's the king, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. 
Then he said, Listen now, O house of David. Is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you'll try the patience of my God as well? Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son and she will call His name Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey at the time He knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. What was going on in Israel during the time of Isaiah the prophet? Well, in Isaiah 6, we get that great vision that he had in the temple. And there you have the angels. And then you have, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah gets the great commission. And of course, he's saying, oh, you know, Lord, I'm a sinful man. I'm a man of uh, unclean lips. Like my nation is a, man, a nation of unclean lips. We're wicked. We're sinners. And Isaiah identified himself with them even though he was accounted to righteous as God and he was a prophet. What's going on? Well, I want to tell you, everyone, everything looked dark. Looked hopeless. There was such darkness, such sin, that the announcement of a Messiah Redeemer had to take place. They needed some kind of news from God. They needed some kind of word because we're going down. So, we're going to deal with this King Ahaz. And really, our first question is, well, what did Emmanuel mean to Isaiah? Everything. And if, as we read that um, section, and I kind of go over a little bit of some things that happened before this, uh, we know that verse 14 is, is the key verse, and Matthew thought it was so key that he put it right there in his first chapter showing how that came true. I think it's really cool to see the Old Testament prophecies as far back as 700 years, maybe even further, but take it right there, and then 700 years later, it comes true. And that's the thing that Christianity has that nobody else has. We have prophecy that tells beforehand even, and it comes true. Now that's amazing, isn't it? That should excite us. So, King Ahaz is a man that had a character that was horrible. A bad king of Judah. And you remember, the, the, they had been divided up. Of course, in King David's time, he had the twelve tribes. Solomon, the twelve tribes, and then they split after that. You had Judah and Benjamin, the two tribes down south. And they kept it pretty well together. The other one split. The ten tribes went up north, started their own religion, and, and uh, kind of combined it with pagan thoughts and idolatry. And of course, God judged them first, and then later He will judge uh, Judah uh, shortly thereafter too. But Ahaz is a man who sacrificed his own children to another god, Molech. Sacrificed his own children. Now, at this time, there was a great nation called the Assyrian Empire. Has anybody ever heard of them? They were the, the supreme nation at the time. They were called, a, I guess, what today we'd call it as a superpower. It was the superpower of the world, the Assyrians. And they're threatening everybody. They're threatening the ten tribes. They're threatening uh, Judah and Benjamin. And that's Assyria. Now, there's the nation of Syria, 
which we are familiar with today. There is Assyria today. Same area. And there was Israel who combined together because Assyria is going to become coming knocking at their door to destroy them. So Israel combines in with this pagan nation. And uh, these are two nations that uh, we need all the help and strength we can get. And you remember Israel really not as depending upon the one true God. And uh, anyway, what they do is they want to form a combination with Judah. So they go down south, go to Judah and try to talk them into joining them. So we can become stronger so when Assyria attacks, we can maybe have enough power to, to defeat them. A coalition. And God never advised His people to do that. Matter of fact, He would never tell them to do that. In fact, He told them not to do that. So, there's a proposition made to King Ahaz, and as horrible and wicked as this man is, who sacrifices his own children, knew that that's not a good thing to do. And he wavered there, kind of to and fro, and Syria and Israel then turns against him. Now he's afraid of us, Syria, the uh, empire, and now he's got these two neighboring nations here that are threatening him. And uh, so he's, he's scared. And they say, we're going to put another king in your place so that you guys will help us. That's a personal threat, is it not? Now the people are scared to death because they hear of all the mutterings and all the things that are going on, we're going to be destroyed. And look, you know, even the prophets are saying we're wicked. The, the believers believe that. <laughs> the thing is, the unbelievers don't. Matter of fact, they want good prophets. The good prophets that say good things. They're not real prophets. They're just prophets that say the things that they want to hear. Well, they do the things that they want to do. See, and that's nothing new here, is it? They want to avoid the truth. And they even will avoid the Constitution freedom of speech and such, which they so often wanted to use, but when it comes down to others, then the, the idea of free speech doesn't happen. Right? That is called toleration. We're to be tolerant. Who's not tolerant? The ones who want to force their view upon Christians. Well, King Ahaz is trembling in his boots. He's trembling. Trembling in his sandals. Isaiah, the prophet, is now sent by God to go to evil, wicked King Ahaz of Judah to give a message of comfort, peace and joy. Good news. That's what's happening here in chapter 7 of Isaiah. We read that key verse. Isaiah is saying to him, look, if you'd only trust in God, the only one true God, you're going to be alright. It's going to be okay. And by the time this Emmanuel can eat curds and honey and to be able to know to refuse evil or good, then those two kings you dread, they'll be forsaken. That's, there can be good news, but there also can be bad news because if you don't do that, there's going to be judgment. Guess which ones he's going to choose. But we read the verse 14, didn't we? This is the context this is coming out of. And I think it's rather uh, encouraging. What God is telling Isaiah to tell evil King Ahaz is 
listen, I'm going to give you comfort, give you guys peace. Don't worry about it. Just believe in me. Matter of fact, just so you'll know what I'm saying is true, I want you to name your sign. Just say, give me a sign. Now, usually that's not the way that God works, does He? Because, you know, we live by faith. But He told him to give a sign. Or give me a sign. And you know what the king did? What he, he says, uh, no, I can't do that. The pride, the stubbornness. He absolutely refused. And he actually went his own way. And you know what he did? He joined forces with Assyria rather than taking the side of God. Made a covenant with Assyria. And I want to tell you, there was egg on his face because you know what the king of Assyria later did? Broke the covenant. (laughs) Well, of course. Isaiah announced to Ahaz what would happen if only he trusted in God. This is good. And those kings will be forsaken. Only trust God. Send a sign. God is going to send a sign. He says, okay, if you don't come up with a sign, I will come up with it. And so he does. It's going to be a baby. A child that would be born. Would be conceived. And of course we know he uses the word virgin, which is one who has never had relations. And that is the Hebrew meaning of that. A woman who had never had um any kind of relations, that kind of virgin. His name is going to be called Emmanuel. Now Matthew, of course, picks up on this. We usually don't go around calling Jesus Emmanuel, but at this time of the year we actually do, don't we? We sing it quite frequently. And so he's given this name before the child is born and even conceived, right? And if Ahaz would just wait, I know it looks bad now. It's going to look bad for months. A short time, though, you know, in God's eternal situation. When the age came to that child, to discern right from wrong, all the pressure, all the threats from all the enemies would subside. They'd pass away. There'd be peace. Ahaz refused to listen. And you know what? God is so amazing. He is so beautiful. We get to emphasize God's grace here. God did not withdraw His promise just because the king was unfaithful. Sure, there's going to be consequences to the nation. But He never destroys His nation here. He gives a promise. And there actually was one born at that time, showed a, a, a you know the, the short end of the prophecy, but this is really pointing ultimately to the Messiah. And he says he's going to signify this: that the God of all grace is with His people. See, there are believers during this time period. Sometimes it doesn't look like they're around, but they're there. There's wickedness just going around everywhere. Amidst all the trial and tribulation and all the pressure that Judah faced, their king betrays them. The king buckled under the pressure of the nations, of men and kings and politicians. He buckles and God remained with His people. 
God could have said, okay, that's it. You're not going to go along with me. I'm just going to blow you away and your nation will never exist and your name will ever be remembered for the one who was responsible. He doesn't do that. This is what Emmanuel means to Isaiah. Whenever God tells him to tell the king that God is with us and there's going to be a baby that is going to signify that He's going to do that. And also that there would be judgment upon Assyria, Syria, and Israel. The ten tribes. And God would deliver His people. This would signify divine hope, wouldn't it? This would signify the grace of God. Wouldn't this signify the very faithfulness of God? We see the character of God in this one verse of verse 14 and then surrounded thereof by the context of the passage. And the point is this, is the name, Emmanuel, signifying judgment on the enemies and deliverance and grace to His people. That sounds something like what we covered Wednesday night about His judgment that He will have on all the false teachers and unbelievers and then also His grace and mercy and love and His salvation for His people. And that is uh, the faithfulness of God. That's an attribute, a characteristic. So the Emmanuel and the birth of Him in Isaiah's time, which was going to be a very, very short time period, and in the Emmanuel that we see that is Jesus that Matthew brings forth in chapter 1, we see a child is pointing to the Christ child who will die for our sins and for their sins. There's there's a type that's involved here, isn't there? There's a picture by this one who's going to be born of the one who's going to be virgin born 700 years from there. And so that was going to be their hope and their promise that they would hold on to for those hundreds of years. So anybody that wasn't even living during this time that would be born 200 years later or born during the time that they were in Babylon and in captivity, they still have a promise of the Word of God. And as they go back and build that temple on the walls and it took quite some time and quite the effort and the enemies that they faced there, it's the walk of the believer's life though. You just trust God no matter those circumstances that are around you. It looks really horrible. God has a great plan, doesn't He? Isn't this bringing light to us? Oh, yeah. Titus put it like this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The grace of God. So, do we not see out of the darkness of our lives, oh, even Christians, uh, depression, illnesses, weariness, just being tired sometimes, the pressures of the world that are coming on and all the things that we hear about that's happening. Can't you see God in His Son coming together, coming in, in a way that is miraculous? coming to earth, being like us. He sent Emmanuel. He is with you. Matter of fact, you are in Christ. That's close, isn't it? Redemption. It's in our midst. 
He is the Redeemer. God with us. Save His people. His grace toward us. Gentiles who have been brought into the very family of God, the commonwealth. He has delivered us through this, this one, this Emmanuel. You know, that's the name that should mean so much to us this morning as we sit here. What it meant to Isaiah is incredible. What it meant to Matthew as he wrote uh, his part, his verse there in in the very first chapter. God stooped to become substance. He was always spirit. He had had some pre-incarnate appearances before, but then he took on the person of... uh, Jesus Christ here on earth walking. Ahaz is wicked, rotten to the core. Let's get to some of the things that were going on. He had introduced idolatry into Israel in a huge way. He had established the very worship of Molech. Molech. Uh, My, this, this is a savage God. Molech demanded that they sacrifice children to them. That's, that's how you'd be considered spiritual, doing the right thing. This is what the nation was in favor of, killing their babies. Hmm. Molech. Molech was in the Mount of Olives. That's They put their idol in the Mount of Olives. You know where Jesus is going to be praying 700 years from there. Of course, he often would hang out there. Not a bottle. He's going to return there. He ascended from there. All in that same area. That's on the east side of Jerusalem. Well, on the west side of Jerusalem, you have Molech there too. On the west wall of Jerusalem, you have uh, statues and idols of Molech. So Jerusalem actually literally is surrounded with Molech. He's the idea. Okay. Superstition is everywhere. Idolatry, demonic worship, gold and silver statues, people worship in the homes of the children of Israel. That's the the very nation there. They're worshiping these statues there. And I want to tell you something else what Ahaz did. You know what he did? He closed the door to the temple. Shut it. That's it. Shut off worship to the one true God. Is that ever saying something? He left the whole temple just to decay. Under Him, true worship of God was like extinguished. We've heard that down through history where somebody tries to cut off God's people from worshiping. The church has had that happen. And there are nations you can go today where it's illegal to worship the one true God. Right? They'll kill you for it. And so... Matter of fact, that's probably in much of the world. You think of the Muslim nation. I know if this goes out on the internet and the, person, the wrong person gets a hold of that, I could be in real trouble. You know that? That's that's the kind of nation we're in today. If I were to speak out against homosexuality, which I do all the time, and as I put that out on the net, I'm sure that the thought police could come in here and arrest me and put me away for the rest of my life. That's okay. Because we want true worship. Well, I want to tell you, behind all that idol worship, those idols are nothing. They're made of silver. They're made of gold. They're made of wood. They're made of rock, stone. 
in and of themselves, what are they? They're nothing. They're material things and there's no God there. But behind that, there is the all-time enemy, Satan, demons. Satan will be sure to bring in false worship. He does it during the ch- while the church is here, but whenever he gets the opportunity to make it all worship of him, he wants even he wants all glory, doesn't he? That's what Satan wants. So Isaiah moved into this scene and he warned Ahaz to turn to God. Ahaz is worshiping demons, devils, evil spirits, contacting the dead, everything that you can think of that is demonic and unholy. And Isaiah, the righteous prophet, goes to him and tells him, quit what you're doing, turn around, trust in God, and God will bless us. And of course, bowing down to those little idols is really bowing down to a false god, worshiping demons. And man, do they actually operate. They're really impersonating a god. And so, anyway, supernatural things can happen where, whenever Satan is allowed to take over in places. Demon worship, devil worship, mediums, wizards, and all those other things. Spiritist, occultist, contacting the dead. And you know what? We go to Isaiah chapter 8. By the way, in chapter 8, I just want to turn to verse 8 and let's, let's concentrate on Emmanuel just for a moment. Then it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass through It will reach even to the neck and the spread of its wings will fill the breadth of your land. O Emmanuel. O God with us. So he's used that name before in chapter 7. Now we see it in 8. Drop down to verse 10. Devise a plan, but it will be thwarted. State a proposal, but it will not stand. For God is with us. Now, Verse 16. Skipping quite a few verses for time's sake. but Bind up the testimony. Seal the law among my disciples. Now look at this. And I will wait for the Lord. This is Isaiah speaking. I will wait for the Lord, or Yahweh, Emmanuel. I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding His face from the house of Jacob. I will even look eagerly for Him. Alright? I'm going to wait for him. I'm going to wait. I'm going to look eagerly, even despite what's going on. And then verse 18. Behold, I and the children of whom the Lord has given me, the ones who are true believers, are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. Now watch. Immediately. That's good, isn't it? That's God's people. That's who He's dealing with. Now, He says, when they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. 
They will pass through the land hard pressed and famished and it will turn out that when they are hungry they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish and they will be driven away into darkness. Verse 19, medium, spiritist, necromancy. What is going on? Matter of fact, it says that um, the the spiritists who whisper and mutter, the the mediums, these spirit, they they contact demons, they contact wizards. I mean, there is a communication that is actually going on. And if you've studied uh, the New Age movement, you'll see that that has come into the Western world in the last. Uh, I would say the 60s, 70s, especially in the 80s, and uh, it has now been embraced as a spiritual uh, thing that is, uh, I think, really key to what is some of the things that are going on in our world. This is the backdrop of the world that Isaiah was in. He knew all about that. And uh, the people were becoming despondent, and it's like, what chance do we have? And they were discouraged on what's going on in the world. And the same thing happened during when Jesus was born into being a, the man God. Did you know that you read through the Gospels and how often do you see where he was casting out demons? Just right and left, casting out demons everywhere he went along with the multitude of miracles that he did the signs and the wonders and then his preaching, but that was a demonic world that had really infested this nation of Israel. How dark was it? That's when Jesus came into this world. We see the time of Isaiah. Now we get a glimpse of Jesus and we've been through the book of Mark or halfway through there, right? And we've seen the darkness and we've seen all those demons that had to be cast out. Listen, when we give them opportunity, they will take over. And they will dominate the worship. They will dominate politics, the education, every aspect of the world that is around us. That's what we encounter here today. Very much like that. What a backdrop. In our world today, the kingdom of darkness is expanding. And I think we've had and we've seen a fantastic rate in crime just here in mid-Missouri, of all people, of places. The lust, the deceit, the moral depravity, suicide, war, homosexuality in its biggest prime time ever of mankind, I believe. I don't think there has been a nation that has actually encouraged marriages of the same sex. That's the time that we live in. The fear, the atheism, the disease, the psychotic and mental disorders, demonic oppression, possession, drugs, alcohol, all the addiction, along with spiritism and the occult. That is prevalent in our society. That is where we are at. We might like to put our heads into the sand, but we can't because it is truth. If we look in Psalm 96, verse 5. For all the gods of the peoples are idols. 
He is to be feared above all gods. The atheism of our day is at an all-time high. used to be it was a very low percentage that would say they were atheists. Now you have people proudly saying they're atheists. As a matter of fact, they will go out of their way. They're violent atheists. Tracking down especially Christians. The humanist, secular humanist. And he says, that's, that's idolatry. For all the gods of the peoples, they're idols. But the Lord made the heavens. But the Lord made the heavens. He's the Creator. He's in control. Deuteronomy, in the law, chapter 32. Deuteronomy 32, 17 and 18. They sacrificed to demons who were not God. To gods whom they have not known. New gods who came lately, whom your fathers did not dread. You neglected the rock who begot you and forgot the God who gave you birth. Could that be preached today? I believe so. They forgot the God who gave them life. And like to do like what teenagers do, just ignore you and act like you don't even exist. <laughs> well, I mean teenagers. Oh, these teenagers are not that way. Okay. Nothing on there. <laughs> we know better than Okay. Now, all that darkness, then you go into Isaiah 9. We've done a little bit of 7, a little bit of 8, and we're into 9. This is where the good news comes in. And every time God pronounces judgment and deep darkness, and man, things get real quiet, you know, you could hear a pin drop, and all of a sudden it's like, the light comes on in that darkness. Verse 1. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. You know, God is specific. And whenever he names names and places and specific places, I want to tell you, he's not just joking and say, oh, just somewhere, somewhere around, you know, in the world. He's telling you exactly where this is at. Where Jesus is going to come in, to play, where, where Emmanuel is going to come, is going to be place that is called Zebulun, Naphtali, where the tribes were, were going to settle there. And it was by the sea, uh, the, the Sea of Galilee. You know, isn't this specific? God does that. He, tell, he just doesn't throw something out there. And, you know, like the, all the prophecies of all the different religions, they'll have these prophecies, and you have to figure something out, and it's all... What is it? Uh, take it spiritually, you know. And anybody could make anything, make it say what they want. Nostradamus, you've heard all those predictions. That's mumbo jumbo. Don't believe a word of it. That's that's stupid for anybody to believe any of that because they take quatrains and, and such, and it can mean anybody at any time and anything. We're talking specific places, specific people with names, and that God, uh, you know is going to make sure that people know. That's the beauty of prophecy. Of His prophecy. Verse 2. Here we go. The people who walk in darkness. Time of Isaiah here. But He's pointing (laughs) 
to future also, will see a great light. In the book of John, first chapter, what do you see? Light. John the Baptist talks about that light. The light of the world. Right? Jesus Christ. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil for you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. You go on. This is talking about the light that comes into a dark land. Briefly, during the time that Christ was here walking on earth for that three and a half year ministry, but ultimately all through the church age, and then ultimately when He comes back. And the light will be fully shining. The sun to be the only blazing star in the dark sky against that dark background of sin. In Isaiah's time, Jesus' time, our time, dark background, black. And then you see this bright light of Christ. A light for the darkness of the day. And then we get into chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. And here we go. We sang this this morning. For a child will be born to us. Now, he's been building on this Emmanuel, hasn't it? Three times we've seen that word Emmanuel, and now he says this. And he's talked about a child. A child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Amen, guys. Man, we have tremendous hope. We can look back on time and see what He's done. We have that kind of grace that's been given to us. He's already been here. He is here. He will come again in the flesh. And we will be like Him. Is this glory? Man. And he pops out and says, I'm talking about this son and this child, and it's not just going to be a glorious baby, but this is what he's designed to be, the king. And he is the perfect Savior. Unto us is a son. A son. A son of God. But a son. One who will be born to us, a son will be given to us. He's given to us. Not just born, but he's given to us by God, right? By God. He was divine. He was deity in human form. Wonderful counselor. I'm just touching on these. Obviously, we don't have time. We're getting ready to close out here. Wonderful counselor. You know what? Those two really have to go together. Because in the days that we live, we have some pretty bad counselors. We have some terrible wisdom that is going on that goes all the way up to the rank of the president, on down through all of the, whether uh, you know it be the politicians, the congressmen, in the courthouses, we have these judges. Men today search for wisdom and people are going to people to get help when the Word of God is the help. They're going to psychologists, psychiatrists, analysts, Counselors, 
they read books, they try everything they can, and they seek out demons, and they never get any help. You're looking for a wonderful counselor. A wonderful counselor. And we offer Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the wonderful counselor. Isn't that great? A child is born. Listen, a God who knows everything... I don't mind a counselor like that at all, do you? A counselor who knew everything. Mighty God, He not only counsels, but He has full divine power to act in our behalf. He not only can tell you the things that are truth and what you need, but He will act them upon you, the mighty God. Do you have troubles this morning? We have this Counselor who is the mighty God that can defeat sin. He can destroy Satan. He will. He will kill death. He will snatch men out of and, and to keep them from going to hell. He will heal and raise people from the dead. He answers prayer. This mighty God. That's the kind of God that I want. I mean, this is mighty. You know? The Everlasting Father. Jesus is not the Father as in the three persons of the Godhead. In this sense here, and in the Hebrew, it means Jesus is the Father of eternity. That's what it means in the Hebrew here. He will be the eternal Father. He's he's a son, but in another sense, He's a Father of eternity. He's the Father. He's a child of time. He was born as a man, but the Father of what? Timelessness. Eternity. He fathered eternity. It's always been there. That's the idea. He's the source of everything. Does that help now? Because some people confuse this and they'll confuse Jesus the Son as being the Father. And when you speak of the triune God, no, there is the person of the Father, there's the person of the Son, there's the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, All equal and yet one God. So we get the Trinity in on there. Government shall be upon His shoulder. That means the government of the earth not the government of our lives right now. Uh, it's talking about the final kingdom. I mean, he, he is governing us, but we're talking something that ultimately is the, this final kingdom of Messiah, the sovereign. Of the cre- increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And of course, the gospel writers pick up on that too, don't they? That he will be the king, the eternal king of peace. He took upon himself our nature. He took upon our being, our feelings, our emotions. He knows what we go through. He is God with us in every aspect. You think of His condescension and having all that glory and all the beauty, all the splendor, the majesty of Him, and yet He came down. came down to us. And this is the true man God. The living presence of the eternal, mighty God. Well, that is what was meant to Isaiah. And you look at the clock and you go, whoa. What are we going to do in point two and point three? Well, I just have um, just a couple of points and, and uh, it doesn't even take up a page. Matthew 1, 22 and 23. And we're, we're basically out of here. To go eat. I smell food. So we have spiritual food and we have physical food. 22... Now, this is whenever you should call his name Jesus. Okay, he, you know, he's talking to Joseph here. The angel is. and You should call his name Jesus, which means Savior. For he has saved his people from their sins. 
Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. doesn't say Isaiah, it just says the prophet. Everybody knows where this comes from. I know if you, if you know the Old Testament. We know it comes right out of Isaiah 7. Behold, the virgin shall be with child. It shall bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Isaiah says yes. No matter what's going on around, it's okay. It's all right. God didn't send an angel to die for us. He sent His Son. He sent His only Son. Took on flesh. Suffered. Died. He knows what we go through. He gives us comfort. Matthew saw fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy that probably just blew his mind whenever he was writing this down as he's inspired by God's Spirit. and He puts that in there. Wow! Does that jump off the page or not? This was fulfilled. This was what Isaiah was talking about. Isaiah didn't see that. He saw it spiritually. Matthew is writing about it and he said, I saw him. I touched him. I felt him. I walked with him. He pulled me out of the tax booth <laughs> where I was making a lot of money and I gave all that up and didn't really have much anything after that and I had everything. I had Jesus Christ. I had eternal life. Signifies deliverance for His people. Save us from our sin. This is good news. This is dealing with the virgin birth which is absolutely miraculous. Nobody ever has had that happen again or ever before. And then what does Emmanuel mean to us? He's the express image of God. Hebrews 1.3 God has put His stamp on Him. He's the great high priest. The priest who sympathizes. The priest who empathizes. He has come to dwell with us. To dwell in us. He answers the needs of His people. He defeats sin. I'm going to close with um, a sentence or two out of B.B. Warfield's writing on this. The glory of the Incarnation is that it presents to our adoring gaze not a humanized God or a deified man, but a true God-man. One who is all that God is and at the same time all that man is. 100% God, 100% man. And that means this. Are you ready for this? This is really good. This is a treasure. One on whose almighty arms we can rest and to whose human sympathy we can appeal. You can have people that sympathize with you, but oh, what it is to have the almighty God to sympathize with us. Whatever your need is this morning, let this Word sink into your mind and your heart. Emmanuel, God is with us. Against the darkness of this world, that backdrop, we offer you what Isaiah offered, what Matthew offered, what is offered to us right now. It's right in the present. Emmanuel, God is with us.